Welcome to the IoT podcast powered by Paratus People. Be among the first to find out what's happening in the fascinating and growing world of IoT from the industry leaders themselves. Welcome to the IoT podcast. Today I'm joined by not one, but two executive pioneers in the IoT space. Firstly, we're joined by James Thomason from EdgeX. And secondly, from Jeff Decoe from the Autonomy Institute. Uh, thank you both very much, gentlemen, for joining us today. Could you start by just introducing yourselves and uh, your, your, your background within your respective businesses? Jeff, perhaps you can kick off. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so Jeff Decoe, uh, the Autonomy Institute, my background is over 30 years in enterprise software, taking uh, new technology innovations and bringing it to, to market and uh, now focus on autonomy, which puts us front and center on how IoT can be densely populated. Fantastic, thank you. And James, how about yourself? I'm James Thomas, and I'm CTO and co-founder of uh, EdgeX. I've been in the tech space for in Silicon Valley for about 20 years, uh, building early stage startup companies and uh, selling them and taking them public. That's what I do. Uh -oh. All right, fantastic. And, and just to explain a little bit more about the two businesses, so obviously, uh, working together at the moment. Uh, but Jeff, could you give us a bit more detail about the Autonomy Institute and uh, and your relationship with EdgeX? Um, yeah, there's a long history, but the really um, short story is the Autonomy Institute is a 501c3. It was stood up um, about a little over two years ago, primarily to focus on getting the infrastructure, the digital infrastructure um, densely populated within cities, states, and down you know highways to enable all these industry 4.0 applications that um, we're all excited about, but require uh, identification of not only networking, but also computes and sensors and things like 5G. Um, the relationship um, we have with EdgeX is um, once we understood the densification and developed a concept we'll talk about today called PIN, the Public Infrastructure Network Node, um, the realization of a new software platform um, or a new development platform um, came about and that's when we um, um, were able to discover edgex as has a, having a new environment that was really ideally suited and really designed from ground up to um, take on these new applications that will be at the edge yeah fantastic and um obviously james uh, relationship growing obviously with the Autonomy Institute, and a, but a bit more about EdgeX and, and its beginnings as a business, if you could. Absolutely, so we're a startup company. We're about uh, two years old now. And uh, what we are is an edge computing platform that makes it easy to write and uh, develop IoT applications using serverless computing, uh, accelerate content delivery at the far edge of the network, and increase the responsiveness of edge applications and secure edge data right at the source. So in a nutshell, we help businesses handle the explosive demand for data processing at the edge to serve real world edge computing applications, uh, including industrial IoT, artificial intelligence, augmented reality, robotics, and your standard run of the mill uh, web applications and uh, mobile apps that you wanna accelerate uh, closer to users. Okay, fantastic. And, and and Jeff, you mentioned it just within your uh, introduction there uh, about PIN. Uh, so for, for people that aren't aware, Public Infrastructure Node Initiative, um, you're you're literally announcing this uh, any moment now. Could could you explain a bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it was a long journey to to get to where the PIN became a new standard. But um, the the short story is. 
Um, we were in previous companies looking to get um, connected and autonomous systems deployed in the real world. Um, we quickly realized that um, identification of sensor um, of compute and resilient networks were going to be required to, to make that happen. Um, we worked extensively um, with organizations like you know, Crown Castle, American Tower, and um, the carriers, and then also a lot of the edge compute um, you know, providers to understand how can they help solve the densification of the technology. What that led to is the, the realization that these sensors really had to be populated on curbs, on sidewalks, or in um, easements that are primarily owned by either cities or states or other municipalities. And in that discovery, we realized that to, in order to get this you know, deployed, a kind of a new approach at how this technology gets uh, deployed and managed and upgraded over time had to take place. And that's where the new standard, uh, the way we, we kind of um, picture it is, is one of the, the gentlemen from a very large compute um, company said, it's kind of like if you were to take a 19 inch rack out of the data center and drop it on the sidewalk, what would that look like? And that's what became the pin. So it, it does not look like a 19 inch rack. So let me be very, very straight. Um, it looks um, to a lot of people like a smart pole. Many people have seen smart poles in the past, but what's unique about it is it's it's more of an, a condo. It's a new asset class that basically allows technology to be implemented, but it's not being prescriptive of technology if it's installed empty. So yeah. um, with that, um, it's opened up the doors to collaborate with cities, with states, with the federal government, and it's now become as fundamental as um, when Eisenhower finally just said, hey, we need to build interstate highways. Um, it's now that the reality struck people that we have to build this in order to accommodate all this densification. Because it's not just about 5G, which everybody, everybody focuses on 5G. That's only one fifth of the equation. I mean, you have things like assured position navigation and timing that has to be densely you know, populated. You have edge compute requirements for densely um, populating. And you have things like ITS, intelligent transportation systems, already have a lot of compute and sensors at intersections. That's mm -hmm. only going to be compounded to, to be much, much more. So yeah. um, hopefully I'll give you a good overview. Yeah, absolutely. I think from my perspective, I've got many friends that work in architecture and city landscapes, right? And um, if we look at the city now, with the the onset of the pandemic and the change of, of, of the use cases of a city, right? Offices potentially not being in the city, retail not being where it was. Um, in order to harness this technology and use it in a deployable way, it needs to, to flow with the edges and curves of a city and how it works, right? And it's a really interesting initiative. And and it sounds so, it sounds so simple now you say it right and now you're talking about it it's like well of well of course we need that um, <laughs> but but it's not until you're actually kind of architecting this solution do uh, do you get to that point um, James if you if you could talk about just a little bit about who's actually involved with with PIN if you could sure so of course we have the um, the autonomy institute itself but uh, together there's a, a federation of companies that are working together towards this objective of making uh, uh, access to sensors and computing ubiquitous across the smart cities landscape and other places as well. And the two primaries uh, right now are Atreus Industries, 
um, which is uh, a market leader in developing these autonomous applications. And we've partnered with Atrius um, right now and during the alpha to um, to deliver this ubiquitous computing platform. And so it's, it's EdgeX and Atrius and uh, a host of other companies that are coming in uh, that are technology innovators like uh, HP, Cisco, NVIDIA, Vertiv, and others who are contributing their technology to uh, bring this next generation digital infrastructure into full operation. Yeah, fantastic. I mean, it's, it's lovely to see a collaborative result there with lots of different people getting involved, right? Um, could, could, it takes a village. That's needed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At, at the edge, you, you need to have you know the vertiv to kind of help with the, the the management of the the power and the thermal. You need to have the HP that can provide the the, the resilient compute. Um, mm -hmm. Then you have you know obviously Nvidia with all the different types of um, advanced GPU for the AI applications at the edge. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just there, there's a lot of you know there's over um, 70 partners that are directly involved with the Autonomy Institute and um, pretty much all of them have some part of a deployment within a PIN you know, solution. Yeah, oh, fantastic. And it, it, gentlemen, I mean, you could both answer this obviously together. What are, what are the short term uh, goals with PIN and then where, where do you see this long terms and, and, and perhaps some use cases around it? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about from my perspective, um, it's just build it. I mean, like, so our entire focus right now is um, getting the initial pins deployed at Camp Mabry. So the goal is to have between 21 and 34 pins deployed um, at the um, state's facility here in Austin, Texas, um, and then expand that to what is called SH, um, State Highway 130, and then um, quite a few different locations across Austin. Um, then we're working with Pittsburgh, um, Raleigh, North Carolina, um, and uh, about nine other you know, uh, cities now. With that deployment, it allows the activation of the compute and the sensors and, and all the, the 5G equipment that then allows us to start iterating and um, building the critical applications at the edge. Um, and that's where once the pins are in, um, the EdgeX platform and all these services can be activated and we can start to see all these vibrant new solutions being built Fantastic, fantastic. And um, in, in terms of um, the longer term goals, where, where could this be, you know, in five years time, in 10 years time, what, what types of things can the everyday man on the street see with, with pain initiatives, Jeff? Well, from, from our standpoint, so the five year plan, just to mm. let you know that we're um, pushing very hard with the US government um, to basically do an all out digital commerce act. Um, our goal is right. to have a build out of having all the highways, all the cities, you know, covered um, with, with the, the pins to basically activate the what 21st century or industry 4.0 across uh, America. Um, that you know, we're talking about um, hundreds of thousands of pins being, de you know, deployed. And luckily there is tremendous amount of money, uh, capital from private in investors that want to underwrite that. Once that's there, and tell you the, like our end goal is of course to do connected and autonomous systems and use these resilient platforms to, to start adding additional city services. But um, for the first 18 months, it's primarily going to be doing very basic um, services. It's, it's going to be finally delivering broadband to the home and allowing people, you know, that have kids at home doing homework to have a resilient network. Um, it's going to, you know, allow 
transportation systems to optimize traffic and get better assessments of what's going on in the city. So as, as much as you know, Autonomy Institute is about the future of all these connected and autonomous systems, the pins are going to first um, really address you know, core necessary um, you know, needs that uh, communities have all over the all over the US, but of course, you know, much more abroad as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think, you know, that that's that's a future, isn't it? Rolling this out probably outside of the US as well and, and using this as a as an overall uh, solution to some of these here and now problems that you talk about, you know, um, James, from your uh, side and EdgeX, um, what is the role that EdgeX and, and Edge Computing will play within PIN? Well, uh, first I'll just say that, you know, my colleague uh, is very modest. And uh, one of the things that uh, really stuck out for me when I first uh, met Jeff was that uh, he had this vision of, of Edge Computing that was different than pretty much everyone else, uh, except for maybe EdgeX, which, you know, a lot of people think that Edge is a isolated deployment of, you know, compute attached to some sensor or it's something that lives behind your firewall. And what Jeff really saw was that, no, that's that's not the way the world's going to be. You know, computing needs to become a ubiquitous utility and there needs to be close proximal computing, you know, uh, tens or, or hundreds of feet away from users at all times so that you can really get the high bandwidth and low latency benefits to the next generation of applications. And that was something that we, we um, you know, unanimously agreed right away. We, we, we have found our partner because uh, that is the vision of EdgeX. And what we do is um, provide the platform that developers can write applications on and uh, build decentralized, fully distributed and decentralized applications and persist data right at the end. So you can think of EdgeX as a kind of, um, cloud that lives a lot closer you know we like to joke that it's you know a lot of people say it's fog you know it's a cloud that's lower to the ground um but it really is quite different because uh, you know the nature of of fog computer the nature of edge computing is different than the tools and technologies that we built for the cloud and that's what we found right away is that you know we had to sort of reinvent the architecture uh of the cloud to adapt it to this environment where you have you know tens of thousands of uh locations spread across the the surface of the planet and you can think well um you know i'll just do that with kubernetes but when you get down to the 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 brass tacks if you will of trying to run ten thousand, uh you know kubernetes pods uh with helm charts etc like it's it's uh, unbelievable complexity and the other side of that of course is making it easy for developers to write applications that can run anywhere and everywhere and really leverage the uh the availability of proximal computing resources and once you do that um, you can start to open up the possibilities of uh, the different types of applications that you can create when you can rely on um, rely on computing to be there, right? And that's you know we kind of it's interesting because we kind of take for granted uh, in the cloud capacity. Some people say we've given up the last five years of Moore's law in computing just because we could just add more servers, you know, in a hyperscale data center. But the edge is a really resource constrained place, right? And so if you want um, computing to be available at a moment's notice, you know, to service a request of an IoT device or an end user application, you really have to change the architecture to do that. And so the use cases um, that are leading this are things like connected and autonomous vehicles, of course, um, which is one of the major initiatives across the United States. And, you know, in the United States, 40,000 people die um, every year or, or, or are severely injured in traffic related fatalities annually. 
And so the Autonomy Institute is aligned with the aspirations of Vision Zero and uh, committed to the goal of eliminating all traffic fatalities and severe injuries while increasing uh, you know, the safe and healthy and equi equitable, equitable mobility for all. I'll try to say that three times fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, achieving those ambitions really depends on uh, developing new data processing solutions that can connect and combine these and uh, fuse these different data sources. So uh, in a pin, you might have, uh, you will have cameras uh, that are doing real-time video, thermal, radar, uh, LIDAR, other, other types of sensors um, that are looking at and detecting the traffic from cars, trucks, bicycles, pedestrians, other, other things in the, you know, in the local coordinate system in that space, right? And at the same time, you have uh, users and devices which are waking up and sending data. And so this idea of being able to look sort of horizontally across all those sources of data and, and fuse them uh, in real time in order to make better decisions and to uh, you know, conduct changes in the actual environment is, is the big idea. And um, you know, the latency today from street level to the public cloud exceeds 100 milliseconds. Uh, and in the future, ITS is gonna require unprecedented low latency, high performance computers with GPUs, network, you know, high, high performance network capacity interconnected in close proximity to all of this infrastructure that already exists in the city. And so you have, in a lot of ways, the the traffic industry in ITS has been has been the edge, you know, for a long time, and um, the signaling and sensors and stuff that they have uh, is locked away inside these in traffic cabinets and inside of intersections. And so, you, you know, today you can't get access to that data. And so, what we think is going to happen over the next uh, five to ten years is that cities are going to wake up to the realization that they are sitting on a vast oil reserve that they can monetize, and it's called data. And there's all sorts of data about uh, city and municipal infrastructure that that can be uh, fused together in a platform. And if we create that platform and enable developers to gain access to the data and work with it and build the next state-of-the-art applications to use it, um, it's analogous to what happened in the cloud, right? You know, in the cloud, you used to have uh, before the cloud, you had just bunches of servers and networking and, and this arcane knowledge that it took to use all of that stuff. And what the cloud really did is it made it programmable. Right, so any developer could take advantage of these vast hardware resources in these hyperscale data centers and could count on uh, the reliability, availability, and performance of that infrastructure to deliver their apps. And so we want to do exactly the same thing, but in this really weird place we call the edge. I call it the era of weird-looking data centers. You know, every pin is a data center. Uh, every every car driving around is potentially a data center, right? And so what you need mm -hmm. is this fluid um, uh, platform that enables developers to have their code emerge and work with things uh, in real time. And it's it really is like for the first time in history, computing is moving out of the realm of the abstract, like spreadsheets and browsers and games and the stuff that you know we did as nerds as kids and into the real world. It's driving our cars, it's operating pumps and heavy machinery, directing traffic in the city, uh, you know, ventilating buildings during a fire. It's doing all these things in the real world now. Uh -huh. And to make that transition um, requires this ubiquitous layer. 
Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for that, James. Yeah, I mean, Mark Getty famously said, you know, oil was the IP of the 21st century. But when we talk of data, this is the next gold rush, isn't it? Uh, you know, you talk about uh, a car, you know, having its own data center and, 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 and the sheer amount of data that can be uh, used and, and manipulated and understood that you have just within one city is, is astronomical. You sort of answered my next question there, actually, about the unique and angle that edgex actually has on on uh, um, on sort of edge computing and cloud services etc so uh, what what, do you, what what is it that you think that people haven't really thought about before that you guys have and, and is kind of your usp as a business you know it really is about making the the platform a fully distributed system and uh so what we are you know the way that our platform works is just fundamentally different it's all peer-to-peer um, it's ad hoc, and so it's designed for this opportunistic uh, dissemination of data. You know, in the cloud, it isn't like your racks in your data center, your cabinets grow legs and then walk away somewhere and then show up in another data center later. Uh, but that that really is a thing, you know, in the in the far edge where um, you want to opportunistically take advantage of computing resources when they're available, and you want to match that with demand that is also transient, right? Mm. So it isn't it isn't like today's world where you uh, are just going to stand up a bunch of virtual machines on some infrastructure or containers on some infrastructure and wait for traffic to happen, right? Or even try to schedule that because um, the the demand is instantaneous, right? It's instantaneous and dynamic. And yeah. um, so that's that's quite a different architecture where uh, at a moment's notice, let's say that, you know, a, a, an MQTT message comes into an edge computing pin. And uh, you know, at that moment in time, you need to make the software available to service that you know, that message and do something, do some computation, store some data, uh, whatever it is you're doing in the software layer. Well, today's architecture doesn't do that, right? It presupposes that you're going to provision the infrastructure in advance and make it ready you know, for that to happen. And serverless is, is kind of a, you know, a step in that direction, right? That what Amazon has done with Lambda and others have done, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Azure, uh, Google Cloud Functions, Azure Functions, et cetera. But um, that only works in the cloud. So what we do is we make serverless work anywhere and everywhere. And we've, we've paired serverless computing, the idea that software can run instantaneously with the idea of serverless data storage. And by the way, I do think that serverless is like the worst name in history because everything has a server summer ride. But this idea yeah. that developers are free from having to worry about um, the infrastructure itself and their data and their software shows up anywhere and everywhere that it needs to be. Hmm. And so this this vision that um, autonomy has that digital infrastructure is the foundation, you know, like what Jeff said earlier of uh, it's like when Eisenhower said, look, we're going to build interstates now because this is ridiculous. Like we need we need this stuff to move things around the country. This is the same, right? It's that level of infrastructure investment where we need to make sure that computing is like truly a utility and that it's and it's close. Yeah. And we didn't talk about this, but the, the driver for all this really is data. You know, it's two things, the need, you know, the need for speed. Uh, so that's low latency stuff. And then the size of data. So yeah. even if you don't need something to be really fast, probably you want the data and the data is very large. And so we, when uh, my partner, John and I started EdgeX, you know, we calculated on the back of a napkin that there was something like between 50 and 80 zettabytes of data stranded at the far edge in the IoT ecosystem. And you know that's just the 10% of data that's out there that's usable. And so that's, as I like to tell people who don't understand what a zettabyte is, uh, you know, one zettabyte is like the city of Manhattan replaced all the skyscrapers with one terabyte SSD drives. And that's, that's what a zettabyte is. And so it's like, you know, between 50 and 80 cities of Manhattan of SSD drives 
um, worth of data that's sitting there right now that you can't backhaul because the network capacity isn't sufficient. And, and when you realize then that that data is growing at a 35% plus CAGR, okay, uh, then very quickly, five years in, you get to a 270 or 300 zettabyte shortfall. And that's why you know, you're never going to backhaul that data to the cloud. Yeah. That's a non-start, that's ridiculous. You're never gonna have the bandwidth or the computing on the cloud side to do that. And the other thing we realized with autonomy was like, you know, we have to do this in a way that is um, sane environmentally uh, and, you know, and resource efficient because, and we need to take advantage of infrastructure that already exists. Yeah. If we do all this net new, we're gonna destroy the planet, you know, by covering it with computers. We can't do that. We have to have a circular supply chain and economy that um, leverages existing resources. and. That's one another area where um, our vision and autonomy's vision just really uh, gelled immediately. You know, you be, well, let's cover the, the planet and computers, but let's do it in a way that's sane. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. F thank you, James. Yeah, I think um, you know all of this for for our listeners' point of view. It just cements the fact that technology is advancing so drastically quick. I mean, you talk about Moore's law earlier, right? And uh, you know, I, I think what what I'd be really interested to know a little bit more about is is how we build out, you know, the world of autonomous things. Uh, examples of this, you know, including healthcare, life sciences, uh, particularly Vision Zero for people that aren't aware as well. Um, so it'd be interesting to know, you know, how how we move on from this and what your guys' thoughts are on that. Well, I, I think the, the the big focus is um, just education first. I mean, yeah. I think when people, um, we, we kind of use the example um, before Eisenhower said we finally need to build highways, people were um, coming up with bigger engines for cars or bigger wheels or more <laughs> wheels. Or, I mean, it was just like they, they looked at the problem um, right in front of them, which was the ruts in the dirt roads. And then finally Eisenhower said, you know what? Asphalt and concrete will solve this problem. And we're now looking at like all the autonomous car companies from Silicon Valley are basically saying, we need more LIDAR, we need more radar, we need yeah. more cameras. We they're, they're, they're looking at it from the vehicle standpoint versus the infrastructure. And once you start to build the infrastructure, the inverse happens where you're able to effectively meet Vision Zero standards. You're able to um, be able to detect the surroundings and now feed that back into the car versus the car having to be self-aware of everything in its life. I mean, and the, the, the other funny thing about this is the infrastructure is already there. I mean, the ITS cabinets, I mean, people are very surprised when I tell them drive down the street and every single time you stop at a four wheel and four way light, look around to the four sides and you're going to see a silver box. Mm -hmm. um, and usually, you know, two days later, they'll call me or email me and say, I can't believe how much infrastructure is already, you know, deployed. And mm -hmm. well, just think of that infrastructure being converted over to pins. And then you understand it's something that can actually take place very, very rapidly. And I'm just going to the, when your question about EdgeX, I'm, we were very thankful that we discovered EdgeX at the time we did because we had just come off of the back end of a previous software company where our software was being used in 195 countries, executed almost a million missions. And the whole wow. goal was to take massive amounts of data off these little tiny SD cards, somehow get that back into the cloud and then leveraging you know, Kubernetes um, you know, instantiation of have 
thousands and thousands of Kubernetes you know, clusters processing data. And when we realized the pin was going to be required to densify the edge, the nightmare in our minds about having to manage Kubernetes at the edge literally scared every single engineer that was thinking about how we do this. And then um, come to find out there was already a solution that was extremely well architected to address that challenge. Yeah. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it sounds it sounds like a really good match, doesn't it? Like almost a perfect match that you guys that you guys met each other and, and were able to do this together. But, um, you know, surely some really exciting things on the radar. Uh, I mean, you know, what, one of the things that I'm curious to hear uh, from each of you is, 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 you know, the trend or technology you're most excited about right this year. What what is coming out? What is 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 going to? Uh, you know, change the game, as it were. James, do you want to start? What What is it that kind of uh, is getting you really enthusiastic about this year? Uh, you know, there there are so many trends in play that are um, that are all coming together to to make this edge thing happen. And so, you know, I'll run down a list and say, in the United States, things like um, CBRS and Neutral Tower, which are which you know, Neutral Towers are also a thing in the UK and Europe. Um, mm. That's making uh, making it possible for new entrants to come into the wireless market and to provide enhanced services over just what the traditionally the big and large telcos you know are doing and thinking um, so this idea that that we're going to get more um, more innovation as a result of that because more eyeballs you know working on the problem uh, is a good thing right and that so that I'm, I'm tremendously excited by that sort of family of technologies within the 5g space of course, 5G infrastructure build out is is happening and tremendous investment going to that and definitely speed you know, more better speeds and feeds are are good more coverage is good all of that uh, you know ubiquitous networking is is necessary um, I think for us the most what I'm most excited about is, are some arcane things in the you know in the areas of distributed systems and um, as I mentioned we're peer to peer and I think peer to peer is going to kind of have its second life now, it's second moment. You know, if you mm. go back all the way into peer-to-peer -peer sort of flourished in the dot-com bubble as, you know, we were sharing music and files, yeah. you know, with stuff like Napster and, uh, and New Town. LimeWire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, and then Apple, like, came out and said, hey, we're just going to make it so you can download whatever music you want and it's all legit and you don't have to pirate music. And then peer-to-peer -peer sort of, like, uh, died out a little bit and the sole survivor there was BitTorrent, which had its... Um, it's space, you know, it's niche, you know, serving big files and, and, uh, you know, as a distributed system. And so BitTorrent really was, um, ahead of its time as a technology, uh, and as a, they, they, they figured out so many things, um, that are now relevant in this era of distributed systems and, um, distributed ledger. And, you know, I hate to use the B word, but blockchain, uh, because I think, I think that, Distributed ledger and blockchain in particular led to a rebirth of peer-to-peer, -peer, but uh, it really is the edge that's going to bring it into its own. And so there'll be, over the next few years, you'll see, uh, we won't be the only ones that will just be a flourishing of peer-to-peer of -peer distributed systems and new types of data networks and and all of that. So that, that sort of umbrella of, of technologies, obviously, I'm very closely wedded to and very excited about, but I just want to emphasize that it's it's a huge thing that's happening. It's not just us. Um, there are lots of people looking at and inventing things uh, in that space. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. I'm actually looking forward to it. I was a, I was a big uh, P2P fan, you know, uh, and and not just for, not just for the free music. I've got to add, right? Um, but it, but well, it's I'm, not. Go ahead. Sorry. 
Uh, no, it's fine. It's, it's nice that this is coming back, right? And I think that that kind of control, that um, uniqueness that you have about it, as opposed to it being centralized, the whole decentralized movement for me is exciting. Uh, and, and it's transcending, you know, multiple industries right now. And dare I say it, the dreaded B word, right? So, um, so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it's really interesting. And I'll point, I'll point out just one more, you know, that's, that's in that vein, and that's uh, WebAssembly. And um, you know, WebAssembly is is taking off. It's, it's starting to have a moment. And uh, what Web for users or listeners on the podcast who may not be familiar with WebAssembly, what it is is a new take on the write once, run anywhere model of computing. So, you know, Java really and JavaScript really delivered that vision for the last couple of decades. Right, this idea that you could uh, write a program in one language and then target it for uh, this runtime that would run on any operating system, and you didn't have to worry about the the differences between OSs. Well, WebAssembly does that, but the the code that it generates is very close to machine code, and so the the consequence is that it's very high performance when compared to other technologies like JavaScript and Java, and you also get really fine grained controls over what the code is doing, and so you can run untrusted code in this um, you know in this this runtime that uh, it isn't a container per se, and it's definitely not a virtual machine. It's something lighter than either of those and something that can run instantaneously. And so that, you know, you get this really high performance virtualization and security layer that didn't exist uh, even a year ago. I mean, it's, it's brand, brand speaking new. And so that, that area of tech, uh, tremendous brain power, lots of smarter people than me, uh, are are inventing that area of tech. We're we're a consumer of that tech because, um, you know, it makes sense to put this kind of it makes sense to put WebAssembly on the server side, you know, uh, out there in the world so that people can write and then target uh, WebAssembly as the as the runtime and their code can run anywhere on any type of hardware. Mm. Yeah. No. Thank. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it, it's useful for you know our listeners to hear about this bleeding edge. You know movements especially in software development and, and what have you because it's, it's going to affect everyone it's going to be the flavor moving forward you know um jeff would be interested from from your points personally and that of obviously of the autonomy institute as well for trends this year well i, I think i think this year the, the most exciting thing that I, I think we'll see is is open ran becoming a thing um and solidly deployed because uh, i think uh I, I really liked it. DARPA put together a video a couple of years back talking and helping explain um, how the RF networks have to be treated very differently than we, we treat them now. So I, I think we're finally going to see Open RAN become a thing. Um, I am, I'm hopeful that by the end of the year, the US will reclassify broadband at one gigabit or greater, not uh, 30 down and, and five up, which I think is, is absurd. Um, and from the standpoint, by the end of the year, we we believe we'll be fielding um, autonomy. Not going to be the autonomy that people expect. It's going to be things like um, lawnmowers automatically maintaining um, you know grounds uh, across the city of Austin, rovers delivering pizza or groceries to people very specific neighborhoods' houses, mm. and uh, most likely see small drones performing routine tasks um, on a daily, if not hourly, basis. So. Mm. Yeah. I think all that can happen this year. Yeah, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for that. The drone thing for me is really interesting because uh, we've not yet seen uh, out and out or, or, or wide use of commercial use of drones. Right, uh, a lot of it has been hobbyists, etc. There's been lots of talk and there's been lots of reports 
uh, of drone technology, but you know, having brands and, and, and corporate businesses using, using them for logistics or food delivery or what have you, that transition step would be a really interesting one. Um, yeah, a huge one. And, and the only way, the, the reason being is, is it, right now it has to be a one-to-one relationship between a, a human and the, the drone. Or in, in a lot of cases, when you when you see you know Google Wing delivering a packet to somebody's house, what they don't understand is they just effectively are demonstrating how they can actually spend one hundred and fifty dollars to deliver a piece of fruit mm-hmm. or something to the house mm-hmm. because they have to have five to ten people watching the drone fly from one place to another. So mm-hmm. with with the right sensor network, the right edge compute, the the right open RAN networks. Um, we're going to see a explosion of, of uh, enabling technologies, and we'll finally move past the currently number one autonomous robot in the world being a Roomba vacuum. So, mm. we'll... yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it would be nice. It would be nice to do that, right? You know. So, is uh... the Roomba a vacuum? I thought it was a cat transportation device. That's how, <laughs> that's how our cat uses it. <laughs> Well, yeah, hopefully. I mean, that would be a lovely point as well, you know, on a, on a serious matter. You know, what you guys are doing collectively within your businesses is is really, you know, game-changing, right? I, I'm trying to think of a better word, but it is. It's game-changing. So it'd be, it would be lovely perhaps in a year, 18 months' time, maybe come back on the show and we can talk about what, what you've done, you know, what, you know, from this point, how the pin has changed things, what the developments are from that point, and what's the next steps after that? Because... Um, you know, it's clearly a, a powerful force going on here. Would love to. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we have uh, tens of thousands of pins deployed, and we'll be coming to you live from the Cayman Islands. Yeah, <laughs> on, on on the yacht, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah from the boat. From absolutely. The boat. I, I hope you still have the Harvey Keitel poster behind you as well. I feel quite. Uh, I saw it first of all on your wall, and I thought you, you've got a picture of Mr. White from Reservoir Dogs, and it's Mr. White doing the podcast. I thought, did you put that up especially? That's uh, that's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, he's, he's actually, that's the Harvey in uh, Pulp Fiction as the wolf. Oh, I see. Okay, I got it wrong. All right. Yeah, one of my employees gave me that uh, several years ago because he, he described me as like being like the wolf, like as the as, no, the CTO of the company. And he's like, you only show up when there's a problem and then you fix things and then go away. You're like the wolf <laughs> in Pulp Fiction. And so he gave me that. <laughs> but that's, that's the right thing. That's what you'd want, right? You know, you're, you're the fixer. You come in, you fix it, you go and, uh, you know. All I, right. I, I decide who's on brain detail and, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gentlemen, uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure, honestly, meeting you both here Tom, on the show. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the interview next year. Yeah. Talking about some exciting things. Yeah, me already. All right. Can't wait to come back. Thank you so much for the time. All right. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe for more episodes in the IoT podcast the leading podcast among the IoT community.